0: Kia ora, I'm Andrew Whiteside. In this interview, I'm speaking with New Zealand author Julie Glamazina about her new book, Spies and Lies, The Mysterious Dr. Danneville. It's a biography about Hilmar Danneville, a woman who moved to New Zealand in the early 20th century and worked as a medical professional in Wellington. Suspicions about her background and her relationships with women meant that in 1917, she was imprisoned as a German spy on Matthew Soames Island. Julie Glamazina, lovely to talk to you on a, a rather um, damp Auckland day today. Very, very dull. I have just finished reading your book and uh, what an intriguing story. So I, I was fascinated to know why, why or how you found this story and why you felt compelled to tell it.
1: Well, I came across um, Hilma Dannyville uh, when I was doing some other research. Um, I was researching uh, lesbian hi- um, history in Aotearoa at the time. And I came across an article in New Zealand Truth um, about this person who had been, um, um, you know, been to be a spy. Uh, and it said that she had been working in, uh, with another doctor within some kind of health institute, and it sounded very, very intriguing. And I wondered, was she a spy? Um, what was the relationship between uh, those two women in particular? And, uh, and what happened to her? And where did she come from?
0: Now, how long did you research this and, and work on the book?
1: Um, I worked on the book over a number of years. Um, when I first came across her, I think it was in the 1990s, actually. But, um, you know, I've, I've been doing other things, work. <laughs>
0: yeah, of course.
1: <laughs> Eating a living and so on. Um, so I came back into it really in the last couple of years and then tried to get it sorted, um, you know, during the last, uh, to
0: you? What I loved about it is that it uh, it reads like a detective story, and it oh, was good. and yeah, but I think uh, from your point of view, it must have been quite a difficult one in some points because she had very little paperwork, she claimed she would destroyed a lot of her papers, that she was being persecuted, and so so I'm intrigued as how how you managed to find out so much about her, considering she was so secretive.
1: indeed, um and we, well, first of all, we know um, quite a bit about what she did after she came to Aotearoa, uh, and and subsequently, um, through newspapers, uh, through um, official records, through the interviews um, by the police and by the military. Um, and prior to that, it's very difficult. Um, we don't know how much of what she said was uh, true, and how much of it was obfuscation. Um, uh, a lot sounds true and sounds plausible um, as as you'll see when you read my book or you know when people read my book they'll see that um, you know some of the things she said could have happened we're not entirely sure of all of the things that she said so it's it's very intriguing and I haven't I haven't given up on some aspects
0: of it actually so there could be a second book on the way
1: <laughs> oh. Possibly
0: an update. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she was clearly well educated, uh, even though she had no um, um, official certificates or ed- with her, and she was very accomplished. So she was a museum, uh, muse- musician. Um. So, so clearly, she came from some kind of privilege. Do you think?
1: Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's no doubt about her education. Um, And as you say about her um, skills and accomplishments, um, it was very clear and that was well documented. So, um, you know, when she was in Wellington, um, so it's very um, clear that she had um, some kind of really strong educational background.
0: Now, the times she was uh, living in in New Zealand were quite interesting. It it began in the early um, 20th century. Women had fought for and won the right to vote a few years earlier in the late 1800s. But there was still a huge amount of misogyny, particularly in the medical profession. It was still, in a sense, a man's world.
1: Yes, absolutely. So uh,
0: now she dressed um, as a man uh, claiming to be able to do work around venereal disease and so on, but that created suspicion. So just just f- fill me in a little bit about what, what she was experiencing and other women were experiencing around this time, it, it, particularly in terms of trying to live their own authentic lives.
1: Mm. Um, well, I think, um, first of all, you're right in terms of the medical profession um, then and probably still, um, but... Um, uh in particular, she and her business partner tried to set up a um, um, independent establishment and there, there were others so they weren't the only ones but they were the only ones um, uh, they were the only women who had set up a um, independent medical establishment at that point as far as I know um, so uh it, it it was wasn't popular in some quarters. Um, in terms of progressing, uh, you know, the situation of women at that time was, I mean, women weren't even MPs at that time, or couldn't run to elected Parliament um, at that time. So um, it was, uh, um, you know, pretty long struggle, which continues today. Um, I think, uh, in terms of her dress style. Um, I wouldn't say that she dressed as a man, and i I point to um, other, other women of her time who um, wanted to break out of the sexual stereotypes of the day, and they wanted more practical clothing as well. Um, and so they dressed as a political statement, really. Um, so I'd say, in my view, that was her, um, her, her angle. Um, I think... Also, um, to take your point, um, that she wanted to present herself as a, you know, someone of authority, and so she used that style of clothing to emphasise that um, authority. Um, and she certainly did that when she went to, you know, to another country. Um, so I, I think, you know, the women of the day had to struggle against um, a lack of um, proper political representation. Um, sort of being treated um, um, patronisingly, um, sometimes as nuisances um, by the government of the day. Um, and she, she, she was working within that milieu.
0: It, I know in, in the book you raise uh, women's clothing as a political issue and the fact that the, mm. the, the way that women were really forced to dress, uh, very restrictive, there would still have been corsets which would have affected women's breathing. A lot mm. of the time, and so it's it's quite fascinating that even to this day, uh, what a what a woman wears is commented upon, uh, yes. is, is seen is seen as a, uh, a and particularly in politics is seen as a uh, almost as a weapon to this day. So it's it's fascinating that that was an issue back, a very conscious issue for a lot of women back then as a political issue.
1: Yeah, exactly, and and or the other thing to um, note too is that you know are you talking about middle class women, uh, upper class women, or working class women? As one of the uh, commentators said, um the women who worked in the um, coal, you know, in the coal coal pits, um, mm. had the wee trousers and the like. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, so there was no, no problem there.
0: There are a couple of things that um, stood out for me, and uh, one was around the time that all, it, all these organizations were sprouting up, so women's rights and welfare organizations. Mm. Um, but there was still a sense, I got this sense, I could have been wrong, that there was still a sense that the class structure wasn't going to necessarily change, even for these women who wanted to make a more positive change for women and that uh, some of the, the women's rights c- um, campaigners were reluctant to support lesbians because of how that could damage their reputations in trying to uh, to um, affect change as well?
1: Yes, well, that sort of previews, um, you know, um, the attitudes in uh, the mid-20th century or, you know, 50s, 60s, and 11 de- you know, lesbians were seen as the 11 de- minutes by um, um, conservative women within mm-hmm. the women's rights movement in the United States, so... Um, you know, that, that's interesting, as you say. Um, well, it, I it, think... Uh, um, sorry, go on.
0: No, yeah, you go. Well, I, I was going to say, I think it uh, it shows the insidious effects of prejudice, though, doesn't it, and misogyny? The fact that mm. women were uh, advocating for rights, but fearful if they step too far of what those effects could be and and we've seen that in homosexual law reform also that you don't don't scare the horses when you're trying to advocate for your own change it, but that is a direct result of the initial prejudice anyway
1: exactly same old story same old story so um i i think um good point about the class structure um so some of the women that um, i allude to in the book were, were very privileged women um they saw a need because um, You know, it wasn't a welfare society. Um, There wasn't sort of a social, um, uh, like a a safety net um, to help women and children, um, especially women on their own, um, or without male um, protection or support or financing. So women were in um, low paid jobs, and um, interesting to see how uh, Deneville came to New Zealand. Um, in 1911, and uh, you know, there, a lot of women were domestic domestic workers, so open to exploitation. Um, so it's quite, um, I think, quite a quite difficult times for women who did not have um, resor- a lot of resources behind them, and those who did could see a needle, but they weren't they weren't challenging the um, the structures of society per se, they just wanted to, you know, as I see it, they, most of them anyway, they were trying to um, help those who were down and out.
0: Well, that was another thing that stood out for me as well is, the, is that some women changed their dress uh, in order for safety because it wasn't safe for them to walk the streets, particularly at night.
1: Yeah, indeed, indeed, exactly, exactly.
0: So, in looking at uh, uh, Hilmar, what. What do you think of her? I mean, you've spent a long time with her now, <laughs> researching her and writing about her. So, so in a sense, I guess you formed a relationship with her by by delving into her life. So, how what do you think of her looking back? And and how would you describe your relationship with her?
1: Um, that's an interesting point, and that is true. Um, I think I would describe her as um, an incredible survivor, someone who had um, uh, quite a lot of hardship, but she didn't give up. She kept on wanting to be a professional. She kept on wanting to, um, you know, act um, for for the betterment of, of other people. Um, she wanted to um, be a profe- be a medical professional, and she persisted with that even after she left um, New Zealand. Um, I think I think she was running away from something. Hmm. I think she was trying to escape from something. Um, I don't know exactly what that is. I think um, uh, looking at her relationship, I think uh, it was certainly in relation to her relationships, but it could have been something more as well. Um, I think very, I also felt sad for her um, because I think if she had been, um, perhaps if she'd been a male, or she'd been born at a different time, she might have had different possibilities. Um, Yeah. But I think, yeah, I I felt sad for her towards the end, but I felt how amazing to have um, done the travels, which she obviously had to have done. Um, To have done all of that and, you know, be spinning around the the globe at that time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: I guess also sad that she um, came to New Zealand just before World War One, and so with all the – because she she claimed she was born in Denmark, but of course she was viewed as German, and there was so much, uh, particularly leading up to the war and then during the war, there was all of this anti-German feeling, so that didn't help. And the fact that she couldn't uh, provide legitimate paperwork led to this – Suspicion around her that, uh, and so they thought she was a spy.
1: Absolutely, it added to it. And I mean, I mean, I can relate to that too because in my own family, um, you know, who are from the former Yugoslavia um, at the time, um, where my family comes from is um, part of is Dalmatia, which is part of now Croatia, which at that time was under the um, Austro-Hungarian Empire. So my relatives were regarded as. Uh, Aliens, (laughs) and and quite a few people from, um, you know, of our people were um, incarcerated um, simply because of a supposed Germanic connection.
0: That was Julie Glamazina talking about her intriguing new book, Spies and Lies, The Mysterious Dr. Danville. Uh, It's really a very, very good read. And you can pick up a copy from the website of Nationwide Book Distributors from the 1st of November 2021. There's a link below this interview for that. Uh, now here's a reminder do check out my website andrewwhiteside.com you'll find plenty of interviews and other stories covering the arts entertainment and lgbtq issues while there you can also sign up for my regular newsletters and they are chock full of goodness i promise i am andrew whiteside thank you for listening and i'll see you soon